0: Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Little John with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN.
1: All right gang, it's that time of the week. It is the best Tuesday you've had all week and it's time for the True Wealth radio show in studio with me as always, Matt Dixon. And you were listening, I'm Dave, Dave Little John hosting and we are trying something new. We are also live streaming the show, so if you want to check it out on our YouTube channel or Facebook channel, uh, they should be up and going there as well. But uh, So, yeah, there goes the tech, and we're going to give it a shot. Or we're going to record a just screaming crash and burn. It could be amazing. Yeah.
2: It's going to be one of the two.
1: (laughs) It's, 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 I feel it's kind of like the market. It could go either way right now.
2: (laughs) We sure have seen a lot of that lately, haven't we? It
1: is. What a cardiac event, right? Two steps forward, two steps back. Uh, I I don't even know. Well, part of our theme today, we're going to talk a little bit about like, well, what is going on or isn't. But uh, can you make sense of this right now? Uh,
2: I really can't. It seems like big tech has finally started to take the lashing, and that's what's really hurting us right now, because tech was holding us up a little bit for a while. The Apples and the Microsofts, and we've seen it kind of roll backwards, and now we're in...
1: Right, and we're not just talking about big tech. We're talking about mega, super, giant tech. Yeah, yeah. Because... The Apples and Microsofts and Googles of the world were literally, by market cap, the largest companies in the world. They've given that position up, by the way. Uh, I think it's a Saudi oil company that's the biggest company yeah, in the world. Yeah, I saw that. Apple
2: cap. lost it.
1: It did. Uh, whether I mean, that's probably not permanent, right? I mean, more than likely, that's not permanent when you look at what's going on. But we had a couple of things. So... As as our listeners know, we have our investment committee meets every Tuesday, so this show comes after that. We talked a little bit about what we see there, but today before, I want to set the table. I want to set the table a little bit for what I want to talk about today. And what I want to talk about specifically is guessing. Okay. Or said in a more fancy pants way, data fitting. Okay, data fitting or confirmation bias. All of these are things that are routinely studied in the field of behavioral finance. And it's something that we should all be aware of because some of the things that we do, the way we frame and solve problems or approach numbers, fall into the category of normal but inaccurate, right? So just because everybody does it, it just, it's sort of like, but everybody's wrong. And you think, wait, everybody can't be wrong. No, let me give you an example, okay? It's my one of my easy examples is the casino. If you win the very first hand that you play in a casino environment and you double your money and you put half of the money in your pocket now. What happens with the other half if you continue to gamble?
2: You're gambling on just the money that you started with, in a sense.
1: Okay. Yeah. So what does that mean?
2: Well, it's tricky because that money that you want on the first hand is still technically your money.
1: Exactly. Bunch of people are saying, well, that would be great. Now I can play with the house's money.
2: Yeah, right? that's kind of like a a false sense of, it's yours, like you have it. It's like you can go cash out right uh, now and you're walking with 100%, it. 100%, but...
1: there's no such thing as the house's money. What I mean, it's the house's money until you win and then it's yours. If you put it back down and gamble again, which they are counting on, that's a mm-hmm. behavioral thing that gamblers do, because, again, it's gambling, right? You're effectively saying, well, I had the money, but I'm going to put it at risk all over again. Yeah. It And so we don't see it as a standalone event where we're using our money. We see it as the house's money. Hey, I came here. Mm-hmm. Now I have bonus, right? Yeah. But the reality is it's your money. You could leave with the bonus. Mm -hmm. okay so that's just an example of how we data fit to rationalize the behavior that we're looking for okay Ah. so so that's the thing that we want to talk a little bit about we talk about guessing and then we talk about this market okay so if you roll it all the way back to what's going on out there um, so first we talked about like big tech taking its lashings Mm -hmm. let's 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 walk our listeners through this a little bit okay first we talked a little bit about the concept. How does the market determine the value of a stock? You know, it's
2: really relative in a, in a way, right? Because I think I mentioned this to you earlier today. I was looking at Microsoft and I was watching earnings versus revenue and both were growing. And they were growing at a super great rate and 2021 for Microsoft was a huge year. And they keep beating earnings quarter after quarter. And yet, their share price keeps falling. And so it feels like it's more of a condition of the markets more than it is a condition of the company.
1: Right, here's the fun thing about this. How do we decide the value of anything?
2: What someone's willing to pay for it. And right Right. now, it seems like there's a lot of sellers showing up.
1: So supply and demand is a huge event, Mm -hmm. right? That's a huge part of it. The thing about the markets in general, so sellers are I'm sorry. That when, when you think about the supply and demand, the, the question is like, how did we rationalize it? Okay. The mm. same way that the gambler rationalized, well, now I'm playing with the house's money, right? Well, there is some form of rationalization behind the seller's price that they're searching for and the buyer's price that they're searching for. Okay. Now the seller may be driven by issues like, I need the money, right? It could, that well, could be a timing issue where it's sure. like, I have a separate thing in my life that says, I need to do this. And so it's created an urgency for liquidity, and so therefore I have to come to the market and take what I can get. Mm-hmm. In which case, we would say that that is a buyer's market, right? The conditions favor the buyer in terms of controlling the price because the seller's more desperate. Flip side is, when, like in real estate, when there's a shortage, that is a seller's market because lots of people want to buy and there's not enough supply around. Okay, now demand isn't to infinity. Because you you could say like let's say that there's a hundred people that want one house and everybody's competing for it, all of those people earn an average of a hundred thousand dollars a piece and that house is ten million dollars. They can't afford the house even if they want like it's priced out, so it's not really in an environment where that demand is going to make sense.
2: Do you feel like we kind of hit that spot already, or getting closer to hitting that spot in the real estate market where? the market, especially locally, I mean, it might be different on a national scale, but it seems like locally, a lot of houses have gotten past that threshold where your average buyer can afford it.
1: Oh, and, I think that's a very, very real thing. I mean, I didn't bring the example up just because it's novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I The numbers were novel. You know, $100,000 income for a $10 million house, that was hyperbole. Sure. You know, I mean, that's like, I'm not gonna go buy a mansion in Malibu right oh it's listed at a uh, 60 million dollars or whatever sure let's go get two right i mean like th- that's <laughs> not i don't have the financial capacity for that not relevant to me personally uh, i think a lot of our listeners probably the same thing you're like Phew. now million dollar house maybe you find yourself going well i could conjure up a way to do it but i might have to give up some other things too because i'm going to overcommit to my housing budget and it's going to mean i can't buy other stuff mm-hmm. right So, and I generally advise don't buy more house than you can afford too. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So, we're mixing a few things in here, right? All right. First, have we reached the, you know, your question, have we reached the point where housing is maybe becoming unaffordable?
2: I feel like we might not have been there until the interest rates hike showed up because that market continued to climb month after month. Yeah. But then these rate hikes come in and you know interest rates are double what they were.
1: I think that prices went up as much as they did for a couple of reasons. Supply constraint is one of them. Right? There's just not enough in the marketplace in many areas, especially in Oregon where yeah, we have lots of land from a geography perspective, but we have Not all of it is accessible for building. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of it's things that they're literally not accessible. We're talking like hillsides and mountaintops and streams and so forth where you're not going to build. But we also have zoning requirements.
2: And they're pretty stringent, too.
1: Yeah. So the land use is relatively restrictive. So that creates a supply side constraint, right? Because you can't build as many houses because of the rules associated with building them and where you can build them. Limits the number that can be done. Okay. And then urban growth boundaries and population density regs or mm-hmm. uh, restricted use saying, oh, it's, you know, agriculture land will be, you know, those are for farms. You can't build a multi-tenant housing on a farm, right? That's just not allowed. Yeah. But yeah, the whole idea of how much can somebody borrow, it absolutely contributes because this is more than one part of the equation. So let's translate that to your investments for a moment, right? Okay. Well, let's, let's you're bringing
2: about. it full circle. I like well, that. Yeah,
1: we will. But let, we'll, we'll stay with houses for a second. Let's just talk about... So, Matt, let's say that you're in the market shopping for a house. Okay. okay. How do you decide how much you can afford?
2: Well, I'm kind of a nerd a little bit. And so I know there's tools out there. I can there. validate this, y- by y- the way. Yeah. Yes, so... Nerd. If you haven't seen it, go to our website. We have a tool where you can punch in a bunch of different variables and it will actually tell you how much house you can afford. Um, But for me, I'm also one of those people that really is cautious of overspending past my means. And Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna always err on the side of caution before you know, jumping with both feet in. So I kind of look at, you know, what are the monthly expenses? You know, how much will I be making in five years? Do a lot of numbers and say, okay, let's go a little bit underneath that just so I stay comfortable.
1: Right. And so the the rule of thumb is probably somewhere you want your total housing budget, including your insurance and Mm -hmm. everything to be under 30% of your income. Right. And that's a swag number, right? Scientific wild arse guess. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, but but it, it'll if you stick within those parameters, you will largely stay pretty safe. You know, if you go make housing fifty percent of your income, that's unless you make tons of money, that's going to create a problem, right? And if you don't make very much money at all, thirty percent of your income is not likely to get you a house because it just won't be enough. So then you start talking economies of scale like roommates and stuff like that to try to pool resources in order to get over the hurdle. Mm-hmm. Okay, but. That's the, so that's, those are input variables, right? On mm-hmm. the on the buyer side. How's the seller decide?
2: However much money I can get plus 5,000. That's just. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, there, that's a funny way, but there are ways, right? And you, you compare it to what other people are. Because you could price a house in such a way that nobody will buy it. Mm-hmm. Right? You just want well, just too much. I'm not interested. So seller needs to pay attention to those variables too. And so it's sort of a push me, pull me contest of figuring out what the price is. I've seen situations where the seller is just, they're just kind or mm-hmm. they're not interested in that much money, they don't they don't care. So they will give a great deal to a buyer.
2: Or they need the money and they need it right now. So yep. they're gonna give it to you at a price you can't resist. So, so
1: there are conditions when that could occur, right? We've all heard the story about the angry ex that sells the other, the ex spouse's sports car for a dollar to the first person that walks in yeah Uh, i've never met this person that got the dollar sports car can we meet them is there like a website i'd like to meet the person selling it and have the dollar that's how i want to be but uh yeah we've kind of heard those legendary stories of you know scorned ex-lover that's like fine i'm gonna you know burn your stuff on the lawn or Mm -hmm. separate you from it by giving it to other people at, at low to no price Okay.
2: (laughs) The one in a million.
1: Right. But, but that's, I don't think that's typically how it works. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's take, let's talk about, so real estate, pretty simple stock market, more simple or more complex.
2: Hmm. I feel like with you putting on those headphones, you're tipping us off that that is going to start to Yeah, something we'll take an evil profit about. break. Yeah.
1: We'll do that. And then when we come back on the flip side of it, then we'll talk a little bit more about it. So, okay. All right, I can't even tell if the music's playing. Is it playing? Maybe. So, look, we're going to go to break. When we do, we'll come back. We'll unpack the stock market more. Okay. uh Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you are listening to Truewell on News Radio 939FM 9 and 1240 KQEN okay that's the music okay that's what we get we're live streaming and we're watching the live stream while we're also doing this so welcome back to the true wealth show now available on both podcasts or you can check out our youtube channel and you can you can collect it there as well so mm. the show's gonna be uh, recorded for posterity and you can see what color shirt i'm wearing
2: i'm excited for the live stream as we keep working on it and perfecting it i think it could get
1: pretty cool i hope that it gets better and better so uh, it also is a good way for us to interact with our listeners and viewers, and they can, you know, throw questions at us and so forth. But anyway, uh, here's where I want to head with this one today. At the break, we, for we were using housing as our example, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of ask you, how do we get to the price? And the reason that we went through that whole exercise, let me just skip to the interesting parts for our listeners here, because you guys are busy. We gotta, we don't have time for this, right? And it is that the market, the way the market's being valued right now, is completely changing in real time, okay? And Matt, you started with the example of Microsoft, right? Yep. So is Microsoft making more money or less money?
2: They're making more money.
1: Okay. Company growing or shrinking? They're growing. Okay. And what are the prospects for future growth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah
2: their cloud-based services are, you know, running a huge portion of the company now where it, it's expanding yep. and they're growing rapidly.
1: And they're, they've shifted to more... Uh, software as a service revenue stream, right? So they got Mm -hmm. regular revenue streams. And Microsoft arguably runs the business community. They're integrated into government computer systems, the the private sector's computer systems. The language of business is primarily PC. Now, I realize that there are Apple fans out there, and I'm not bashing Apple when I say this. I'm just saying, Microsoft deeply embedded into the business ecosystem. Microsoft makes tons of money, okay? And from a financial health perspective, you look at the company and go, man, there's a lot to like. And yet the market is absolutely punishing it right now. Yep. In fact, I'm going to I'm gonna pull this up in real time. You can go to our friends at Yahoo Finance, which um, they're just convenient, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's why we use this. It's not because it's a plug or anything like that. But so today, Microsoft finishes at 259.62. If we look at the 52-week high for the year, right, Uh, It was as high as $349.67, so So it fell from $350 to uh, it's been below $250. That's more than a 35% correction.
2: Right. I mean, it's lost $100 a share. That's insane.
1: It's pretty wacky. The question is why?
2: I think when we get down to the nuts and bolts of it and try to not overcomplicate things, there were more sellers than buyers.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, that's just the super simplest way to look at it is more sellers than buyers, that's what happens. Now, why do the buyers not wanna pay more?
2: And I'm gonna just back up for a second because my mind's churning. And it, the way I'm looking at this is like, so ETFs, mutual funds, right? We all kind of have a general understanding of how those work.
1: Let's just assume we do, sure. Sure.
2: So as the entire market starts to slip, right? and the S&P 500 is in a moment of you know losses and a downturn. As people go in and start selling mutual funds and selling ETFs and trying to maybe move out of the market, the, if you own this mutual fund or ETF that has a large holding of Microsoft, which a lot of them do, sure. you know, you'll look and say, oh, this mutual fund has a 5% holding in Microsoft. You might not necessarily be directly trying to sell Microsoft, but, In turn, you are because you're liquidating that position and maybe moving your money around.
1: Yeah, huge impact. So when I've I've used this phrase before, but talking about the plumbing of the markets, Mm -hmm. and plumbing is my way of just saying you know things are moving around. We could call it the wiring of the markets too, but uh, the plumbing is what connects to what, and if you you know move one thing, what are the dynamic of how it's going to move something else? And if you consider a change in an index can happen at massive volume. So if the like S&P 500 kicks one company out and adds a new company in, think about the massive number of trades and index funds that have to f- blow one company away and buy another. Sure. Massive bid into the new one, massive dump of the old. That's going to have an impact on the value because the bidding balance between the buyers and sellers is going to shift radically. Mm-hmm. Okay. So index rebalancing is a huge thing. Mutual funds that oftentimes mimic a lot of index holdings, that's gonna be a huge thing. Yep. So exchange traded funds, which mimic indexes in many cases, huge thing. Right. So the they are all connected and the plumbing will do that. Now, if we talk about why, that's the interesting one to I me, mean, the why. Like I asked you, how do you decide what a house is worth? And you go, know, mm-hmm. well, you know, I got these different things for me. But if I said, No, no how do you decide what a house is worth? Somebody else is going to call along a builder and say, well, you know, I know that the dirt's going to be this much. It's going to cost me this much of materials to produce it. And I'm going to have to pay people this much to get it done. And on a cost per square foot basis, I can roughly approximate it'll be this much to buy it. I've looked at the other houses around it that have sold for more than that. And so I can figure if I can build it for this and sell it for that, it's going to be this much profit to me. I'm going to have to pay some taxes on that though. So I'm going to have to play it. look at that and so I know what my margin is on that they're viewing it like a business now aren't they like that yeah. house is me developing and I need to know what other houses are selling for get a sense of how many people are trying to buy in the area that's a whole different value proposition than what you describe, Matt which is here's my budget and what I can afford and so I'm going to go out there looking to fit it within my wallet
2: yeah
1: right that's so true. very different value method okay you think that the stock market might have people using different methods to arrive at a value for a stock and what they're willing to pay absolutely yeah I mean there's a, I mean talk about leading the witness right yeah I mean let me take a really complicated issue and distill it down to a yes or no I'm <laughs> yeah. over here like bobble like, it, like yeah, well, yeah sure <laughs> there's lots of people yeah there's the, the thing is there's countless ways to evaluate pricing countless like literally an infinite number of variables. Mm-hmm. A, an infinity number of combinations because we can invent all new variables that didn't even exist before to conjure up new ways to mess with your head
2: that's what i'm going to do after we're done with the radio show i'm going to sharpen the pencil and i'm going to start making some crazy formulas and looking at the fundamentals and come up with a new way to value stuff how
1: about that look their entire industry is built around it yeah you become a cfa right Chartered financial analyst yep then they go through multiple layers of schooling. There's three different series of of credentialings that you sort of have to clear the hurdles, three different test series before you can get your CFA. Mm -hmm. And the whole process is about, here's the methodologies that we use to value securities. Mm -hmm. And then you can go to some private investment shop and they will have conjured up their entirely own unique set of criteria.
2: So you're saying it's slightly harder than the Series 65.
1: <laughs> yeah. I would say the Series 65 is a cute warm-up. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, <laughs> Warming up with the one-pounders doing some curls, huh? <laughs> exactly. Just get the blood
1: flowing, you know? Come on, come on. If you all, For those of you that are curious, 65 is the exam that you have to take in order to uh, legally become a registered, uh, an investment advisory representative, mm-hmm. right? So that means that you are uh, able to be a fiduciary representative of a financial advisory firm. And and that test is not easy. No. Right? No, Maybe, it's not. Especially if you have come coming out of left field and you're unfamiliar with the industry. There's all these new rules where you're like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. So we digress. Yeah. If there's an in infinite number of ways to manipulate variables there's a real danger in the markets you know what it is what is it data fitting what does I've, that mean i feel like
2: da- well data fitting is where you take uh, a series of evidence and then use it to try and say well this supports my idea right like hey, I think the stock market's going to go to zero and it's never going to come back. And here's all my evidence from this one website that I found in the deep dark web from a
1: conspiracy
2: theorist, right? Like that's your data fitting.
1: And it's it oftentimes acts a lot like confirmation bias.
2: But we're guilty of it, right? Like we we all are.
1: are. So data fitting can mean a lot of things. But data fitting, the worst one, and it happens in more than just the financial industry is let me try to arrange the test to make it true. Like, if you're selling toothpaste and nine out of 10 dentists are going to be fans of your toothpaste, then you're going to go interview lots of dentists and then keep the nine out of 10 that say they like it. Mm-hmm. I interviewed 200 dentists, but I'm only going to talk to the 10 that really like my product, right? Okay, that's data fitting, right? So, you're- would it be
2: data fitting if I only ate at McDonald's every single meal and I thought it was the best restaurant in the world and then I walked in and said, David, you've got to buy McDonald's stock? because it's the best. And I love it.
1: I don't even know how to respond to that example, Matthew. <laughs> All I
2: eat is McFlurries and McChickens. I don't Let's feel like, like data fitting. I
1: feel like that's just really bad health decisions. <laughs> uh, no, Data-fitting is so, like discarding the data that you don't want to use, or uh, when you see a set of data and then you use it as a justification for something, right? Mm-hmm. So in system trading, Okay. This is the idea of I want to build up an investment that shows how smart I am. So let me go back in time and pick all of the investments that I know performed really well and then show somebody a list of investments as if well, had you bought these 5 years ago, you'd be a genius. Mm-hmm. Look how much money you'd have. And then you ask them, did you buy them 5 years ago? Well, no. But if you did. Like, okay, you're data fitting, right? You're 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 manipulating the variables to yeah. give the outcome you desire. Now, you can also do confirmation bias, which is I'm going to only look at the data that agrees with what I want to see. I have lots of different things that make me feel like you know, I'm right about this one thing. We see this a ton in politics, by the way. My team says this and therefore I look at this data. Well, what about this conflicting data over there? I don't even think that data is real. <laughs> okay, maybe it's not real. Maybe you're correct. But maybe you're also just saying I don't want to invite that data into the equation because it conflicts with what I believe or want to believe, and so that's going to create a whole separate issue, which is cognitive dissonance, right? And you have conflicting data, and now you're you're not sure how to respond to it. Okay? Mm-hmm. So all of these are behavioral finance issues that one needs to be aware of. Uh, why are we even talking about it today? Because oh, look at the markets, mm-hmm. right? Do you realize that? You can go right now and watch any number of financial programs. Listen to this one, for example, and ask somebody, what's going to happen in the markets? And there will be people that will tell you, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, this is going to happen. I mean, like just... Let me let me tell you why and how. And what's I get where happen. you're going with
2: this, and okay. it's true because we've seen it in the news a lot, where people are ca- trying to call it like, "Oh, you know, the markets are down." Yeah. Well, I'm going to call that number. It's going to here.
1: Is it, is it going up? Is it going down? Is it going anywhere? You want to know what the really the reality of it is?
2: We're all just guessing.
1: We're gonna wait until after this ah. profit break. Okay. And, we're gonna, and you want to know the real I'm going to give you a reality check, but first. These extraordinarily important messages. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 kqen All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with
2: Matt Dixon.
1: All right. And don't forget, you can catch up with us on uh, the podcast. So if you're just joining us and you want to figure out what we've been chatting on this far, do the podcast wherever you want to. Find them. You can also get. Uh, we're now streaming live, and it's fun because I've got some folks that catching up on Ryan. Good to see you online as well. Uh, and I will let you in on a hint if you check later, because we will post the the live stream will become just a posted video. There's some commentary about have we hit capitulation yet? Ooh. Okay. And I'll, I'll let's unpack that for a second. But I wanted to promise everybody the answer to you. what's the the secret to all the different people that are telling you you know this is what's going to happen in the markets okay and you mm-hmm. want to know what the dirty secret is what is it they don't know they're full of crap now hmm. they may have great data okay but this is a classic example of the co- either confirmation bias or data fitting when somebody says this is going to happen okay Well, they could have
2: a really good guess, but they don't know if there's going to be another war that breaks out. They don't know if there's going to be another massive disease that starts spreading. We just don't know.
1: Let me give you a real example. I had a conversation yesterday with somebody that said um, that, well, Biden's out there talking about going to defend Taiwan if China tries to invade. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking on this program for months about how that is a... A, a, a not very far out on the tail risk any longer saying China is the, the probability that China has some kind of uh, military effort to cl- formally claim Taiwan as yeah. a Chinese uh, you know province or whatever we want to call it, th- that, that that is escalating in probability by the day. And that they have been positioning and sort of telegraphing that move. Okay. Yeah. So this person says, well, Biden said the U.S. is going to go in there militarily defend. And my comment was, I doubt it.
2: I would think we would have already made some type of public statement or something to say, hey, if this is your plan, this is our course of action to try and detour it at least. But we haven't.
1: Yeah, I I I, I think it was worse than that. Basically, every time this happens, Biden will say something and then they rush to the polling data to decide whether or not that that was an idiot move. Okay. And what my comment was, but this is the great part. I'll show, I promise that this is going somewhere for you. My comment was, look, uh, let me save you the time. China invades, U S doesn't do anything and we move on. Okay. And the issue is, As long as China remains a trade partner where we can get semiconductors out of Taiwan, we're okay. Okay? We could
2: afford, in a way, to ban Russia, right? Like, we did the oil embargo. Not that we can really afford it, but we did it. And we've put a lot of sanctions on Russia. I just don't know that we could do that with China, right? Like. I feel so like we that's al- we
1: already have. China's done it to themselves. When China shut down the supply chains, they've kind of sanctioned themselves. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a, true. A, it's their true. Own kind of economic pain, if you will. But here's the, the bigger point is like, I don't know. I'm taking what I believe is a reasonable guess based on previous behaviors and what's happening. But I don't know. Maybe, you know, the polls say, no, nope, is totally behind this. We're going to war with China. I'm like, that seems cray-cray, right? It's a technical term for my teenage daughters. <laughs> but, it's but it's not it's impossible. It's not impossible. It just doesn't seem probable, right? Now, the the better question would be, is this an actionable event that one can invest around? And I don't know. Again, and when people say, it's going to be this, it's going to be that, I go, this is a really bold Guess. Uh, Maybe the probability is super high, right? Like, like I actually think that my prediction that uh, there's some type of escalation, but I don't even know that it's in China's best interest to really push it. But the question is if we have what I would say geopolitically is a a sort of weak and clumsy administration, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Evidenced by the way Afghanistan has worked, how Russia has worked, and so forth, that it's just generally uh sort of wimpy like right? there, there's no intimidation if biden goes in there and says oh you better not do something then everybody yawns right because because they don't take him seriously because mm-hmm. this administration has been so weak and poorly managed of those incidents right we're, we're much more concerned with social issues than geopolitical issues okay? mm-hmm. and for whatever reason if the polling data suggests that that's the way that they get enough votes to stay in power then they'll keep pl- beating that drum and, and, and I would again suggest, I don't know, but the evidence suggests to me that this is the current administration's tack is to the fact that we're now seeing an escalation in news stories around gun violence and women's rights and other social issues as a way to get back to core Democrat progressive ideals, a little less super fringy with some of the more extreme issues or, or polarizing issues. Right? So they're trying to reclaim their base using social issues as the mechanism. It's separate from Taiwan, but it tells China, oh, well, Biden administration's running their administration via polling data, so we don't really need to worry about how they're going to do this. Yeah. I mean, that's the geopolitical message, right? Okay, well, if I believe in that, then I can believe that I can make other tactical moves around it that I think would position from an investment perspective. Okay, I mean, maybe if you think we're going to war, maybe you should be. Buying, and I'm not making a recommendation here, but maybe it's you know buying stocks of arms manufacturers, right? Yep. You know, uh, I think the the two that came up in conversation included uh, Raytheon and Lockheed Martin, yep. both of which you know manufacture missiles, which have, I believe, chip sets in them from Taiwan. So there is a circular logic for you.
2: Wow. Way to bring that one full circle.
1: (laughs) So, just tells you, like, wait a second, we need to go with the war to war with the in an area where the provider of the uh, never mind, my head's going to explode. Yeah. It's complicated, right? That's the issue. And when people say they know, they don't know. Unfortunately, this market preys on two things. And I said the marketplace preys on two things. One, if you're willing to guess boldly and you get it right, you will be rewarded, people will believe that you knew something. And they will treat you as if you did, even though it was just a very bold guess. Mm-hmm. And two, many people want you to be right. They want to fit the data, too. So if you have a bold opinion and they're data fitting, they will latch on to your opinion.
2: The, this kind of reminds me of the whole Kathy Wood and Ark situation, right? Where right. she was just being hailed as like the... Professor and the wise person that can see the future, right. and this I mean, her, visionary
1: futurist. Mm-hmm. Look at how well the investments are performed. Yeah, oh, and she,
2: granted, she was smoking it, right? Like sure. her investments were killing it. And I would have people, you know, messaging me all the time, look at how amazing Kathy Wood's doing, and you know, everything she picks turns to gold. Right? Well,
1: and she's one of the worst performers this year.
2: Oh yeah, she's been destroyed, like wor- almost worse than any other right? major fund. And, and, it's and like, when gosh. Kathy
1: Woods is a genius, Warren Buffett's an idiot, mm-hmm. and now we turn it around. Now there, there's some common things that these, that both of these parties do. By the way, the the Ark Innovation Fund versus Berkshire Hathaway. There, there's actually something that we could look at and we could point to and go. You want to know the correlation or the connection between these two?
2: I do want to know.
1: Perfect. I will wait until after this break and I will share it with you. But you have to remind me. Okay. Don't lose it. All right. So stick around, all you listeners on the radio out there. And when we come back, we're going to unpack that. But first, this break. This is Dave Littlejohn.
2: And Matt Dixon. And you're
1: listening to True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon. And uh, just got really bummer news over the break, and so uh, forgive me if I seem a little sobered up, uh, very suddenly. Uh, evidently, there's been a another school shooting in Texas. Uh, details are just coming out, so I don't know anything other than the the body counts. Uh, you never want to hear that about school, anyway. There's just no, but it's it's high, mm-hmm. like 20 kids or something, and so I'm I am very stunned by that one, and. Uh, Pretty, like I said, pretty sobering. That's tough. Um, all right, let's 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 try to get through this. I think there was, do you, do you remember what we were at the break? I wanted to come up with, there was a point that we were making. Oh, we were
2: talking about Kathy Wood and um, Warren, Buffett. Warren Buffett and yeah. comparing how they're similar.
1: Yeah, well, what they have in common. Oh, right? that's what it was, yeah. And what they have in common is that they have a style of investment, mm-hmm. um, Kathy Wood invests in aggressive growth companies, and mm-hmm. a lot of people that that definition is a little bit vague. But you know, they would say the Innovation Fund. She's got a process of finding investments that are in companies that they expect to be industry changers, not just leaders, but they're going to innovate and completely change the way the economy works. And so they the, you know we don't even know how to value right. them right now because they're they're such a shakeup. Uh, to the marketplace. So we would call those growth companies, though. Growth companies tend to not pay dividends. Um, In some cases, these companies are pre-revenue, which is Mm -hmm. an interesting thing. It means that the technology, like the company may not even be earning money yet, but they are expected to, if they are correct in their assumptions, and so they're Mm -hmm. raising private equity or other capital as a way to fund an endeavor that they anticipate will change the world. And they're not paying dividends, they're reinvesting all of the profits they have back into the company to get bigger, hence the definition of growth. The idea that you're reinvesting the profits of the company back into more expansion. Okay. Versus Warren Buffett, who is very much a value or discount buyer. He looks for opportunities to buy entire organizations in many cases, things that are staples in everyday life like he would say railroads are great we always have to move stuff around the country and there's not a more efficient way to do it so they're not going anywhere i can buy a whole railroad and if you would do that his philosophy would be let's buy the whole company and then we have management expertise at berkshire hathaway we will look for opportunities to cut the uh, management expenses and bring our own people in get new economies of scale by Getting more efficient and then figuring out where the problems are in the organization and improving those with better systems and technology and what have. And so he will buy things that he considers to be deeply undervalued by the marketplace and that they can do sweat equity, if you will, or they can put input into it and produce more value down the road. Right. So
2: more of a value play value than a growth play.
1: play. Uh, discount to free cash flow, mm-hmm. it's a way to say he's buying companies that make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so very much fewer startups for a Warren Buffett, right? Well, the thing about Warren Buffett and Kathy Wood, they're both interesting investors. They, they thrive in different environments. Sure. Like Warren Buffett looks pretty good right now because the companies he's buying, when they're already priced very affordably, the market tends not to penalize them as much in a down market, because the, the number of buyers and sellers isn't changing as much, for one, mm-hmm. those aren't the sexy things. He's not out there buying things that are really fancy and slick. They're tried and true. <laughs> He'll buy they're a company
2: sale. that produces bleach and right. clean wipes. like
1: Yeah. Household staples, razors, mm-hmm. right? You're going to stop shaving? Right? That'd, that'd get weird. So <laughs> Versus Kathy Wood that's buying things that are supposed to change the world. Well, when everything's looking great, money is flowing freely and cheaply, and those companies that she was buying look amazing and have huge returns. But, you know, if you make 100 150% in a year, and you lose 85% the next year, you're close to back to where you started.
2: Yeah. I mean, look at a company like yeah. Snapchat yeah. today.
1: $100 stock doubles to 200 and loses 85%. Percent and now it's thirty, mm-hmm. right? So that'll just tell you how volatile a ride that can be. When growth is in favor, it is fantastic. When it is out of favor, it can be quite catastrophic. Yeah, and that's kind of what we've seen in the marketplace right now. Is we've seen a lot of the the really growthy tech stocks beat up. They led the sector down. We've seen companies like Netflix down seventy plus percent. And then you've seen companies like Microsoft that held up for a while and now they're down, and Microsoft mm-hmm. down 35% too.
2: Snapchat today lost over 40%. Right. Yeah. It's...
1: And there, we could talk about why, but I don't think that's the relevant issue. No. Nope. I think the issue is that the market has changed its tune to what it believes is a good investment because of the anticipation of changing economics. Mm-hmm. Right. The market is basically telling us that the probability of a recession is really, really high. Mm hmm. It's telling us that in bond yields, although we did see some short-term yields buying today in the bond marketplace. so uh, you know we've seen a steepening of the yield curve. we've seen an increase in the cost of capital. We've seen gross stocks punished hard. We've seen defensive stocks hold up much better, but the stock market at large is declining. Mm-hmm. And even though companies are still making money, they're not being valued as highly as they, highly as they used to be. Think about houses the same house, people are paying less for it now than they were a year ago, well, that would be a revaluation. Your assessment is, it's not worth as much or I can't afford as much because I have less access to capital. Magnify that over all the market participants in the world and you can see how these trades start to how they gain momentum one direction or the other. Momentum can be negative as well as positive.
2: Do you think part of it could be some of the money printing has dried up and that money's been pushed into the system and we're not seeing a new influx of that new money?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, maybe I didn't clarify that as well. When I say the cost of capital, Mm -hmm. okay, that is driven by money printing largely. So if you stop printing money, then the cost of capital goes up. Yeah. That means interest rates go up when you're not printing money initially and you know so if if risks are higher in the economy, interest rates go up because you're going to expect to be compensated for taking risk as an investor. And so that's really the issue at play, right? the Federal Reserve is the one buying all the bonds. that's artificial manipulation of the supply or the, the demand side of the curve, right right? We'll buy everything and force rates lower because we'll take the risk of the future in the bond market. Even though none of you will, we'll do it. Okay, well that will effectively lower interest rates. And when you lower rates, then people can borrow more. But if we're worried about the economy shrinking and people losing their job and people having the inability to pay a loan back, we're gonna raise the rates To compensate for the risk, right? Banks charge more to bad borrowers than good borrowers, Mm -hmm. and right now, because the economy just got worse, all the borrowers look worse. Even the strong borrowers pay more for money because the whole tide went out. Yeah, and that's and by the way, that's systemic risk—risk to the whole system, not risk to just one person.
2: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: And so that's the issue right now: is that on a systemic basis. We've changed the cost of capital, and people no longer agree to the prior values of things. Even great companies can get penalized in environments like this, but you have to ask yourself, what's my time horizon? Yeah,
2: do you want to own that company in five years? Yeah,
1: I mean, Kathy Wood may go down as a catastrophic failure, Or in 10 years, she may be a complete genius. It's true
2: because she's holding on to her guns, so we'll see. She hasn't
1: deviated from that strategy. And so, and that's the thing. The real question is, do the things that you own as an investor still look like healthy companies in an unhealthy season? And if the answer is yes, I would advocate for patience and caution. You know, as soon as you throw those out the window and you start guessing, right, you could be data fitting to your own panic, and mm-hmm. that tends to be a really bad idea. It's true. So look. All right. Well, look, we're at that time. It is that clock time. The clock is there, and what it tells me is we got to let our listeners know real quick how they reach us, Matt.
2: Five four one three seven five
1: right. If you uh, want any second opinion on anything you're doing, give us a shout or grab a... Grab us at LittleJohnFS.com. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn
2: and Matt Dixon,
1: and you've been listening to True Wall on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN.
0: The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.